This podcast contains adult language and mature themes, which may not be suitable for all listeners. So listen at your own fucking risk. Essential NPCs, the podcast where we sample some of the best and possibly some of the worst tabletop RPGs. I'm Addie. And I'm Tommy. And you're listening to Series 4, Episode 17, Patriot and Concord. And let's start it off with some announcements. Uh, we've got two announcements this week. Haha. The uh, first one is the one you've already heard a bunch. <laughs> send us your questions for post game chatter. We're going to answer them uh, in just a couple of weeks. Uh, so make sure that you get them to us by May 9th. You can send them by Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Essential NPCs, or you can email them to us at Essential NPCs Podcast at gmail.com, or you can go to our website www.essentialnpcs.com and use our contact form uh, on the website. Also check out all our cool stuff that we have there. Yeah, uh, we already have a bunch of questions rolling in. Uh, that we're really excited to answer them uh, in a couple weeks' time. Uh, and you guys still have until May 9th to submit them. And if you submit a question for post-game chatter, we will answer it. Um, and for our other announcement, something that's going to happen a, a little bit sooner... The final bonus episode for Series 4 is going to be dropping on Friday. So make sure that you go ahead and check that out. See how Team Jollypot got together. Yeah. See what made Jollypot pick these three adventurers. Uh, we've already released Parts 1 and 2 of Welcome to Rinville. Part 3 will be out on this Friday. Uh, we would have gotten it to you guys sooner, but you know we were moving. We had to relocate the studio, and but now we have it for you guys. So let's move on into Words with the GM. Hello. Hello, GM. Hello. This Words with the GM Hello. is uh, about Series 4, Episode 16, Challenge Accepted. Good name for that episode. <laughs> well, there was a challenge and it was accepted by me. Yeah, uh, that was a that was a fun fight we played out. Uh, and then uh, and then you guys got to just kind of like chill and relax and party a bit. Have a little bit of romance and a lot of drinking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a, definitely a nice break for us. We had been going to every single place and there was like an and then after you've gotten in, there's another thing that you could help us with because you're the good guys. And uh, it was nice to kind of have the... Uh, the the like hey catch up take a break you know you're in a race but you can sleep here and you know hang out yeah last time you guys had an like a relaxing checkpoint i believe was uh purity aloft but yeah with uh with uh arachrith um i actually decided to pull an audible uh like on the fly at the last minute uh i decided to make it a little less eventful after you were done with the fight with gurnbelt oh really uh, i had originally written for there to be a bit of a, a bit of drama uh in arachrith uh, the silica tribe was going to have a rival tribe that was like preparing for war against them and there was gonna they were gonna have to send you guys to go like find a scouting party that went missing basically like a whole the the standard like well you've made it to this checkpoint this is problem number like 73 i'm happy to give you more <laughs> Uh, I'm happy to give you more mission information, but first do this quest for me. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you know, uh, and they're like, well, we'll help you out, you know, or uh, we'll help you out if yeah. you do this hero stuff for us. And um, honestly, I, I uh, uh, it was it was something I was pretty sure I was going to do. 
up until right when Zeke asked, um, like, hey, just out of, uh, just curious, is there, like, some sort of, like, terrible thing going on around here, like a murder that needs to be solved or blah, blah, blah. And, like, uh, right when that happened, I was like, yeah, you know what? No, mm -hmm. everything's cool. You guys can just chill. Like, have a, have a, like, a, it's been a while since you guys have been able to, like, go somewhere and not have a problem. Yeah, Zeke had kind of hit his limit at that point. So, <laughs> uh, and Talia wasn't far behind him. So that was really nice, uh, especially to be able to, like, put Gerald back together and make a friend um, and to have the boys get really drunk with satyrs who can't get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, satyrs, it's just like drinking coffee for them. Yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of like that moment where you know you can kind of get like a feel for what your players are looking for as a GM and uh, if possible accommodate that and I was not that attached to the uh, brooding war in Iraq rift like between these two tribes that whole storyline was easily like shelved for me uh, and then uh, I felt like I suddenly realized like there's definitely going to be a lot of fatigue moving forward if I don't give them like an easy just like ha have a relaxing time in Iraq rift which was nice. So um, in sort of deleting plot points, uh, and I assume characters, was there like, uh, were you able to like reincorporate any of those characters yeah. or, or plot points or anything? Actually, uh, yeah. So the leader of the tribe that was going to be like the rivals of the Silica tribe uh, was uh, Natasha. Originally, oh. like at that, like she was going to be, and her storyline was more or less the same. It was like she went to go work in the in the Siyeshi underground, and she resented Boris for not helping her. The whole the whole thing was like it was supposed to be that like she resented Boris for not joining up, uh, and uh, so it was really easy for me to like because uh, it was really easy for me to make Boris's underground contacts. <laughs> Natasha <laughs> right. and be able to play with that little bit of like history that Natasha and Boris have without having to make it this like complication for you guys to be able to move forward. Like instead it was like, yeah, no, this still happened. This it's just like, we're in the good timeline where, where, uh, where she just is like, you know, a little mean to him. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's a good takeaway is that like you can, even if you don't have like something happen, you can use those points, like we've said before, bring them back into somewhere else. Yeah. Anytime you, anytime you decide to not use something you prepared or are forced to not use something you prepared because your players do something you're not expecting, uh, you can always reestablish or, uh, reincorporate those, uh, elements. Um, and it was just a deliberate GM choice there in the middle of that episode, like right without like any really premeditation, uh, just like all of a sudden being like, you know what? No, I don't want to do this storyline. I want you guys to relax. Cause I mean, you're about to go to CS, you're about to like everything, you know, the climax, the like final, like, are you guys going to make it? Are you guys going to not like CS is yeah. like, obviously there's a lot of tension in CS. It's a place that's already just like not welcoming to outsiders. So it's going to be difficult the road ahead. And I was just like, you gotta, you gotta let them relax. <laughs> yeah. I mean, coming up on the last couple episodes, because we know it's the last couple episodes, it was kind of nice to like recharge our characters. Cause Characters can suffer fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's enough about that. Uh, I want to talk about what your favorite moment was. Ah. Well, my favorite moment happened outside of the episode. It was building Gurren Belt. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, there's a lot of really, really fun, uh, like, brawler uh, specialties in Tefra, um, more than I actually realized. And so it was really, really fun slapping all those specialties together to make a character. Especially because none of us have any of those. Yeah. yeah. And that was, like, it was really fun because it, it, it made it feel like a fun 
uh, engaging boss fight. Um, and so uh, uh, I was glad I got to make a, a, a good challenge for Talia. Yeah, you definitely put that to guy together well because uh, like just like one or two more hits and she totally would have gone down. Yeah, so. she, you, only, you only had like four hit points left before you moved into wounds, right? Yeah. I think it was like four or six. <laughs> yeah, it was if you hadn't landed that counter attack, uh, he might have won that fight. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Uh, what about you? What was your favorite part? Um, I think it was the um, interaction between Zeke and that uh, Eternal Guardsman. <laughs> um, it was just uh, so it was such a weird and like strange counterpoint to what was happening with uh, Talia that it was really nice for me as I was playing and like being really stressed out about like fighting Gurnbeld and what if I lose and and all this stuff to have like Zeke sort of just like peppering the guy with questions <laughs> yeah um and then you were like you know what that was four action points write those down i will give you an answer back and i thought that was so great because it was like it was a great way for the gm to be like i'm going to answer all your questions but you have to wait for it like you have to wait for the payoff of of what you've done yeah yeah um, well because it was like you know i gotta slip it into a combat round right it'd be weird for me to have this whole conversation so you know it's gonna take up two combat rounds so <laughs> let's uh let's have like a little bit of like a a meanwhile. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and it gave us something to look forward to in between the slug fest that was Talia and Gurrenbeld and then like Barnabas cheering everybody on. I did like, love that Barnabas was like turning the crowd and like encouraging Talia. That was a that was a really fun use of of, uh, yeah. of Barnabas's abilities. I think it was just like a really strong episode all around. So, I mean, it's really hard to boil down like just one favorite part. Yeah, but uh, we should move on because we still have more episodes to go. And uh, you guys need to break into Siesh and find your way to uh, the next checkpoint. So let's move on forward and listen to Series 4, Episode 17, Patriot and Concord. Enjoy! Hello, I'm Barnabas Gunsby, famous big game hunter and adventurer. I come from common birth, but I've used my skills to make a name for myself. I often go on expeditions to explore the world and its many lost secrets, to tame once wild lands and lay my eyes on wonders few have seen. I've written books of my exploits to help fund my adventures, and while the books have brought me wealth and fame, many believe them to be fiction. It's cast a sad shadow over my once great career. But I have been selected to participate in the great Atroposian circuit, where I shall prove to the world that Barnabas Gunsby is a true legend of adventure. Hello, I'm Talia Nazari. It's true, I am Varishta royalty, and that's all well and good, but ruling is certainly not my true passion, but a duty I fulfil nonetheless. You see, I'm first an inventor and engineer. Self-taught, but I'm very good. A natural. And I suppose that natural talent has only been helped along by a lot of time spent in solitude. But you should see all the sorts of things I've made, mostly through trial and error. I am certainly not afraid to jump in and get my hands dirty when needed. 
as fate would have it, being an inventor led me straight into what I believe will be one of the most interesting times of my life. Mr. Cornelius Jollypot has asked me to join his team for that great Atroposian circuit. Can you imagine? Of course I said yes, only bolstered by the fact that one of my teammates is Mr. Barnabas Gunsby, my favourite author. We're sure to have a fantastic time and perhaps even have the chance to win. I can't wait to leave Dalvosia and see the world with my amazing and talented teammates by my side. It's all so very exciting. I'm Ezekiel Quaglin, gnome pilot extraordinaire, but my friends call me Zeke. I grew up in Paldoris before the hurricane wars. When the Aedin attacked, I joined the military to do my part in defense of my people. When it came time to return home, we realized that in winning the war, Paldoris had become an uninhabitable wasteland. The Infernal Church of Jinzi swooped in to save the day with their city-sized stormships. This spelled salvation for many of my people, and though I was never particularly religious, I was happy to accept the church's appointment as pilot of Jinzi's Hammer. I flew the city for several years, but I never really enjoyed living on that mechanical monstrosity. When the Evanglesian Civil War broke out, I quickly volunteered for the Jinzi Corps to lend aid to the militarists. Though we lost, I earned admission to the High Flyers, and after the war, used my connections there to become a commercial pilot. It's not glamorous or exciting work, and it barely pays the bills, but it let me fly the skies. When Jollypot offered me a spot on his Atroposian circuit team, I was happy to accept in hopes of retiring to a life of luxury. I mean, even if we don't win, at least it won't be boring. The last time we left Team Jollypot, they had made their way out of the desert country of Azeda and moved into the uh, tech light country of Surai. There in the city of Kiandru, uh, they had a bit of a detour from the race as they uh, aided in the investigation of a series of grisly murders um, alongside Team Basington. They determined who the murderer was, uh, and although the murderer escaped, he is still currently being hunted by Team Basington, who has officially uh, resigned from the race, taking up their new roles as special investigators of Evan Glass. Um, after Surai, uh, the team made a crash landing in Arakrith uh, outside the encampment of the Silica tribe. Uh, there, they had to meet with Duncanfurter, but before they could, uh, they had to prove their worth to the tribe in order to step on their hollowed ground. And um, the champion of Team Jollypot had to face the champion of the Silica tribe. Talia was elected champion, and not only did she survive uh, the challenge against Gurenbeld, the champion of the Silica tribe, she defeated him soundly. And uh, because of that, uh, Team Jollypot was lifted up as honorary members of the Silica tribe, uh, given full access to all of the encampment, and... Um, their new membership encouraged the chieftain of the Silica tribe, Boris, to assist Team Jollypot as they make their way into the country of Siesh uh, to reach their final checkpoint before the finish line in the capital of Evanglas. Boris used his uh, contacts in the Sieshi underground, the resistance uh, that 
um, helps enslaved satyrs escape from Siesh. Um, the main contact was a uh, satyr woman named Natasha, um, and her and two others uh, met Team Jollypot on the border um, and uh, offered to help escort them to the uh, to the center of Siesh at the base of Mount Siberius uh, so that they could go to the city of Slycrag. Uh, you guys hopped on the back of the motorcycles. You've uh, started heading into Siesh. Um, Talia, you are on the back of Natasha's motorcycle. Um, uh, Zeke, you are on top of Gerald's lap, who is on top of the uh, 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 the motorcycle of a satyr named Gurky. And uh, Barnabas, you are on the back of DuPont's motorcycle, another satyr. Uh, all three of these people uh, are conductors in the uh, Sieshi underground. Um, you guys travel for quite some time. The muddy grasslands of uh, Arachrith uh, quickly giving way to uh, a more frigid, frozen ground in Siesh as the temperature begins to plummet more and more. Uh, you guys luckily were provided uh, furs and coats from Boris uh, so that you could not suffer the ill effects of the cold. And uh, a good while into it, uh, as the sun is beginning to set, uh, Natasha, Gurky, and DuPont pull their motorcycles up to a large rocky hill um, and reveal a hidden garage where they park the motorcycles. And Natasha turns to you guys and goes, we continue on foot from here. Okay. I hop off the motorcycle. And uh, yeah, you guys keep walking. Uh, Natasha and DuPont sticking with you guys as Gurky scouts ahead. Um, and you guys kind of go up to higher elevation and begin walking along this like rocky like hill side. Uh, is there anything um, interesting out there to like see? What does it look like around us? Uh, the weather has picked up uh, considerably. Um, uh, the wind cutting through, uh, giving kind of like picking up the, the snow off of the drifts and uh, and like flurrying it around, obscuring your vision a little bit. Um, but from your from your elevated position, you can just see like barren tundra uh as far as the eye can see um and then like the very very far distance very very small on the horizon poking up over the haze and the clouds uh you see like occasionally like an opening in the white mist of like the perpetual snow flurry that is siesh um the tip of mount siberius way way off in the distance it's rather crisp out here have you never been to siesh Yes, it was actually a, it's actually an ice party. You see, they had sculptures, and instead of serving bowls, they had bowls of ice, in which drinks were served. It was quite fun. Okay, that's interesting. Yes, it was. It's actually mentioned in my third (laughs) book, if if you're interested. I don't have time for books. That's so sad. Siesh is not a very forgiving land for sailors. You may have heard. Yes. Yes, that's very true. True, but, like, don't you wait? Isn't there times where you wait and then you could you just think, like, I could be reading a book right now. It'd be great. Then, you know, you might relax a little or something. I am, like, my face in my hands, just <laughs> trying to distance myself as much from both of them as I can. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, in my downtime, I confer with my with the various conductors of the underground and review the maps and adjust our pathways appropriately. I don't have free time to read stories. Fair enough. Onward. At this point, you guys are reaching like kind of like that you've been kind of moving uphill 
to like the point of like these uh, like to the highest point in these hills and um, you catch up with Gurky who's like kind of posted there and Natasha goes Gurky how does it look and uh, he hands a spyglass to her and uh, she looks down uh, into like kind of a valley below uh, and you guys do see um, in that valley there seems to be like uh, like an uh, like a farmhouse of some sort um, it's got a, a few, uh, mammoths, uh, like herding around it. Um, and, uh, they're just kind of like standing there and they doesn't, they don't seem perturbed by the, uh, the increasing snowstorm. Natasha looks, uh, through the spyglass seeming to scan the, uh, the farmhouse and she goes, all right, it's clear. Uh, and she, uh, uh, closes the spyglass down. Yeah. Can I, may I see the spyglass? Sure. And she hands you the spyglass. All right. I look through the spyglass. Like, what do I see? Because I'm assuming it's like double telescoping now. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, no, um, you, I mean, you see this farmhouse. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's construction is very, very sturdy. Um, it's made of, uh, both industrial and natural materials. Um, it's got like some steel rivets holding like a bunch of like log or wooden logs together. Um, and, uh, there's a clothesline outside and you see like, uh, the fur of like a bear or something draped over it. Uh, there's a water pump out front. Um, as you scan around, you don't see anybody, um, you know, you scan over nearby the mammoths, you see the, the like six mammoths that are just like hanging out, like standing near each other for warmth. (laughs) But like you don't see any any people. What are you looking for exactly? Yeah, I don't know. I see like twelve times better than everyone here. I thought I'd take a look. Well, it's not a it's not a something hidden we're looking for. It's that uh, it's that bear um, hide. It indicates that it is safe for us to approach. Cool. I hand her the spyglass. Uh, she takes it back, uh, stuffs it in her in her jacket, and then she goes, "All right, let's go." And uh, Gurky, Dupont, and Natasha unravel like these heavy like uh blankets from their backpacks and uh they lay them down and sit on them and they're like all right get on cool (laughs) uh they provide like one extra one because they don't want to like you know pile on everybody onto like just three blankets they have like another one for like gerald and somebody (laughs) all right (laughs) and uh yeah, um, you guys sit on the blankets and sled down the hill. <laughs> this was my plan before I knew you guys were going to do it. <laughs> uh, Gurky laughs at that. <laughs> uh, and you guys uh, reach the bottom of the hill. It's a nice, it's a nice fun sled down. Um, good steep hill. And then uh, uh, you guys slow down. And then uh, they jump up, beat the snow off of their, uh, their blankets and roll them back up. And uh, uh, Natasha uh, says, okay, all of you behind me, I'll talk to the station agent. And uh, she gestures for you guys to follow her. And she goes up to the door, knocks like four times. There's a slight pause. And then uh, man of howdy descent opens up the door, looks down at all of you. uh, And is and um, he's got like a big bushy beard. Uh, with like black and gray flecks in it. Um, he has a, ta- a tattoo like circlet around his neck. Um, he's wearing uh, 
very, very plain clothes. Like he has like no shirt underneath, like some uh, overalls and there's like tools stuffed into the pockets. And uh, uh, he opens it up and looks and uh, pulls a, a big cigar out of his mouth. And he's like, Natasha, who are these? Friends, we're moving north. All right, get inside. And uh, <clears throat> you all step in. And uh, um, she's like, thank you, Gustavo. Uh, and he goes into the uh, other room, seeming to forget that you guys are even there. And uh, Natasha leads you uh, through the, like, large sitting room with, like, the fireplace going uh, into a, like, broom closet. And uh, pulls a rug away and lifts up a, a hatch. All right. This is where we stay for the evening. Okay. I climb down. I go into the hatch. Uh, at first, it's dark as you're climbing down. You climb down a little ways. Uh, and then, like, um, as you get lower, you see, like, the light of, like, an open area. Once you get down there, you see it is a hollowed out uh, space beneath this farm. Um, rather large um, with uh, basically, like, sleeping bunks carved into the wall of the ground. And uh, just, like, a couple tables and uh, there is a secondary fireplace underneath where the main fireplace is. Uh, so the smoke from the uh, the underground fireplace just goes up into the, uh, uh, the the main fireplace. So there's still only one chimney for the house. And uh, they have, like, the fire's burning low. There's gas lamps light- lighting up around this, like, large semi-square-ish shaped area, and you see um, five other people down there. Uh, all of them are satyrs, and um, all of them have hollowed-out gauges. Uh, three of them look a little worse for wear. They have tattered clothes, they look malnourished, uh, and they have obvious like sores around their wrists and, and ankles, um, and uh, one of them has like fresh scars lining up and down his uh his forearm and uh and then the other two look a little bit more like people who are prepared for this weather and for like these conditions they are like bundled and like uh and like armed uh and those two step up to uh greet natasha and you guys uh they give natasha a hug they give gurky and dupont hugs and uh, and then one of them uh turns to you and is like who are these three friends we're heading north. <laughs> and uh, they shrug and go, people going into Siesh. Strange. I guess it's easy when you're not a, uh, not a satyr. Uh, and then Natasha goes, who are those? Those three. He's like, uh, and they're passengers. We're heading, on, we're heading down south with them. We got them out of harm's way about uh, a week ago. It's been a hard journey. And... Uh, like they all like kind of like or they're listening but like looking and like one of them like kind of scoffs and like touches his like f- freshly wounded like arm and uh, uh the person talking to Natasha is like well there's uh, there's bunks available and um uh, we're leaving in the morning I don't know about the lot of you um Natasha's like same we'll move as soon as the sun rises he shrugs and goes well we have a cask of ale we have some bread uh, you are welcome here. You can make yourselves at home. And, uh, uh, I hope you s- have a safe journey in the morning. <clears throat> Would it be safe to say that the mood is pretty down right now? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just a bit. They're hiding in a hole in the ground. Perhaps I could lighten the mood, tell some stories and jokes. What do you do? I tell them of great tales of 
the lands where they'll be heading and what to look forward to once they get there. Okay, uh, roll cunning for me. 24. Uh, yeah, you, first off you start and the toss is like, shh, keep it down. <laughs> and so you have to, you have to tell your stories in hushed, but excited tones. Um, and that just adds to the suspense of it and you use it to your advantage. Um, it seems like the, the, the conductors of the, uh, Siashi underground, uh, while listening to your stories are, their reactions are varying from like apathetic to maybe condescending and like. But a, a little bit, like, entertained also. And they're like, they they definitely don't, like, shoot you down for trying to raise these people's spirits. Um, and uh, the three escaped slaves, two of them are, like, listening to you. Uh, like, they look like they're trying really hard to, like, let this build up their hope. They're, like, hanging on your words, being like, yes, okay, let's use this to, like, try and get us the last leg of this journey. Um, and, uh, partway through one of your stories, one of them, uh, the, or, uh, partway through one of your stories, the one with the, uh, wounded arm, uh, goes, Puh, seems like a lot of hard work. I should just go back. Life wasn't so bad back then. And what, they're, uh, who's to say that Siashi bounty hunters aren't going to show up and, uh, pull me back in? I mean, these new scars I have, I'm easily identifiable. It might be better off just going back. You guys can go on without me. I'll leave in the morning and go back north. And um, Natasha uh, stands up and goes, what did you say? He goes, look, I appreciate everything you've done for me, but I was just kind of shanghaied into this escape. And I, I, don't, I don't think I can make it the rest of the way. It's too dangerous. It's, I, nearly died when we, uh, I nearly died yesterday. And he raises up his arm. And um, uh, Natasha calmly walks over to him. Uh, reaches over to DuPont's uh, hip and pulls his pistol out of uh, his uh, holster and points it at the guy. And everyone, like, ste- ev- the, the slaves all step back, but none of the conductors seem surprised by this behavior. And uh, she pulls back the hammer and she says, um, You go on to freedom or you die. If you go back, all they'll do is ask you about this way station. We cannot allow that. You go on. Or you die. Decide now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let, let, let me talk to him. She doesn't say anything. She just keeps sitting there pointing the gun at him, but she allows you to speak. What's your name, sir? Romeo. Romeo. Look, I know the journey's hard. I understand. I've been on plenty of journeys myself, but none of them have been a journey to freedom. Yes, it'll be hard work, but you'll be your own man. You'll make money. You can have a life. You can have a life outside of work and serving others. You can have a life to yourself. And to me, that's worth all the danger in the world. I've made my own living doing dangerous journeys. It's hard now, but it only gets easier. So please reconsider. Go to your freedom. Uh, go ahead and roll cunning at a plus two, since he does have a gun pointing at him, telling him to do the same thing. <laughs> All right. Another 24. He sits there. He kind of like tenderly touches his wounded arm, glares at Natasha, looks at you and goes, you know, my, my master, he used to point the gun at me, used to threaten my life. His behavior like this everywhere. People are free to just treat everyone like animals. He asks you, Barnabas. No. This is a this is a more delicate situation. 
I understand both of your points of view. She has to protect what she's doing, and I understand you're scared, but... And I and I look over at her, and I kind of point... Uh, I, I push the gun down. She allows you to lower the gun. She's just looking at the guy dead on, though, still. But these... He's not your master anymore. You're your own master. Master of your own fate. And all they want to do is provide that chance for everybody. And it is a risk to what they're trying to do, to the freedom of other satyrs, if you go back. And one of the other two uh, escaped slaves kind of reaches out and like grabs Romeo's like hand. And like he looks at, he looks at her, looks back at you guys, and goes, Borette. I'm sorry I said anything. I'll go. I do want to be free. And Natasha nods and goes, wise decision. And then goes back to her table and takes a bite out of her stale bread. Um, Mr. Gunsby, maybe another, maybe another story? Uh, and, um, Mr. Romeo, if you'd like it, I could maybe take a look at your arm, see if we can't get you a little bit. In a, in a little bit better state. Well, Miss Nazari, I don't know. And I look over to uh, to the uh, passengers and I say, should I tell another story? <laughs> and uh, Gurky goes, well, I want to know if the pirates ever got their gold back. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, but see, it was never their gold to begin with. <laughs> and, uh, he, uh, and he tells the story of how they got it in the first place <laughs> yeah talia you take a look at his arm it's it's not that bad it has been like uh treated a little bit but it is like open and undressed so you can easily like wrap it up and like make sure it doesn't get infected <laughs> um but like it seems like they did at least wash it uh and uh romeo goes thank you you are very kind it's my pleasure um did you come from uh, the Mount Siberius? Uh, nearby there, yes. Uh, did you know the three the three of you? Um, were you from the same place? Yes. Yes, we were. This is my sister and her husband. Well, I honestly can't really understand anything you've gone through, <laughs> but um, I don't. I don't think you should worry so much th- about. Not everyone is awful, and they're just, I think, protecting you, honestly. I know it doesn't sound like it, but if you were to go back, all they would do is... Shoot me, probably. Yes. It makes sense. I understand. It's just hard. Um, here, and I'm going to take off my coat and, and at least loan it to them for the night, since it's cold and things yeah i mean they do have some they do have a lot of blankets but like yeah yeah your coat adds like an extra layer on top of that and uh romeo thanks you and uh looks at his newly dressed arm nods and then rejoins his sister and his brother-in-law watching barnabas dancing around fencing the air with a broomstick (laughs) and i swung from the yard arm on the mast and knocked the false pirate king into the water Mr. Gunsby, if you do not keep your tone down, I'm going to have to shoot you. <laughs> Natasha says, and everyone goes like everyone goes quiet for a second, and then she like cracks a grin, and then like everyone's like, okay, good, she's joking. <laughs> and as he fell into the water, <laughs> I know, <you> continue. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. Anyone else achieving anything tonight? Sleep. Okay. Uh, Barnabas, as you're winding down your uh, story, uh, DuPont uh, uh, sets up a, a little uh, uh, radio he's been tinkering with this whole time, trying to get like a signal, and the static gives way uh, as a radio broadcast begins. Hello again, dear friends. This is Guy Finnegan with the latest updates on this year's great Atroposian circuit. The moment we've all been waiting for is nearly at hand. Reports have come in that Team Cornfoot has been seen crossing into the frigid wastes of the country of Siesh. This country's isolationist culture makes it incredibly difficult for outsiders to enter legally, and yet Team Cornfoot has proven once again to be resourceful beyond measure as they make their way towards the final checkpoint. However, sources indicate Team Jollypot is not far behind, and therefore is still well in the running for the victor's purse. Either team could even yet fall prey to the country's variable and militaristic politics, as the Dukes of Siesh are known to clash in armed conflict over many disputes. Additionally, any outsider not under the protection of the Royal Emperor of Siesh could be made subject to the open slavery of this volatile, uncultured nation. It is no wonder that so many of this year's teams have officially conceded. These final challenges are what will truly determine who has what it takes to claim total victory. Who will it be? The shockingly talented and admirable Team Cornfoot? The inscrutable and unpredictable Team Jollypot? Or will it be one of the teams further behind who have refused to admit defeat? Place your bets now, dear friends, and stay tuned to our continued coverage here with Guy Finnegan on Gilded Monogle International Radio. We're still in second place. That's excellent. Now to catch Cornfoot. Sounds like they're still ahead of us, but not by much, so that's good. Surely they're cheating. What? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All right, DuPont, turn off that radio. We're trying to sleep. <laughs> and you guys go to bed? Yeah. About uh, as soon as everyone like kind of falls asleep, um, sometime in the middle of the evening, like early, early, early morning, like 2, 3 in the morning, there's a clang as the uh, hatch opens up and uh, a sound of someone sliding down the ladder. And you guys see um, uh, a satyr drop down. Uh, he has... Uh, no gauges in his ear. Uh, and um, he runs up like he's removing like his hood and like uh, he seems out of breath and he's like panting. And he goes, oh, Natasha, I thought I might find you here. And she like stands up. She's already got like her gun like in hand and everyone's like armed already and uh, looking around. She's like, what? What's going on? And he goes, oh, nothing. That's sorry. I, uh, I wanted to get the message as quickly as possible. I'm not, we're not in any danger. He raises up his hands to, like, pacify the room, and they all, like, kind of relax a little bit. Natasha seems still on edge. Uh, and she goes, What is it? I just got this word in earlier in the evening. Or a group of slave catchers transporting a pair of slaves up north. And uh, she goes, What's your source? Uh, he holds out a busted messenger ball. And uh, she opens it up and reaches in and pulls out, like, a slip of paper. And she reads it, and she goes, Hmm, I know this name. Interesting. Well, and she turns to the three of you. Looks like we may have uh, some work to do before I can continue escorting you. That tracks. Where are we going? <laughs> uh, and she goes over to a table, pulls out of her pack like a map, spreads it open, 
and you see uh, a map of Siesh with all these winding paths that uh, that um, are written in charcoal. Uh, so that they and like there's tons of smudges where like the paths have been redrawn and rerouted. Um, and uh, she lays down next to it the piece of paper. Uh, when you look at it, you see it says. Two caged hams sent to the butcher via Patriot and Concord. I expect the bill when the arm hits three by 13 on the second day. And it's signed Mathis. And uh, you see her like point at a line that uh, is labeled Concord. It seems to head like kind of east and west, but like, or more like southeast to northwest. Uh, and, uh, then there's one that's more directly north to south and it's called Patriot. And, uh, there's a part where those two lines intersect and she goes here at, uh, around 1 PM in the afternoon on uh, tomorrow. It will be, or today, I suppose. What time is it? <laughs> it's four in the morning. Okay. So not too long from now then <laughs> this, uh, this message from this Mathis, she seems to linger on the name for a second. It, uh, it indicates two prisoners, two caged hams, heading up towards Mount Siberius, the butcher. Uh, they're going to pass by the intersecting uh, pathways of our smuggling routes, Patriot and Concord, by the 13th hour, 1, in the, 1 p.m., give or take. And they are being escorted by three armed guards when the arm hits three. So, he, she folds out the letter and says... Rest up a bit longer, and we'll go and get those two. Sounds like a plan. Would you like me to fix that? Fix what? The sphere. Would you? Do you want me to fix it? She looks a little confused at it, looks back and goes, uh, sure. I fix it. Yeah, you just <laughs> ding out the hammers it, the, and, like, recalibrate the, the graviton tech so that it, like, hovers. And she goes, oh, well, that's interesting. I give it back to her. This will be useful. Thank you. Pleasure. Uh, and then Natasha goes and like, so rest up. We'll move out. We can get to uh, Concord and Patriot if we leave in four hours. And uh, she doesn't go to her bunk to sleep. She kind of sits in a chair and uh, sits there holding the slip of paper with the note on it. Well, it's probably good for us to get some sleep. We've been very busy ourselves lately. Any rest we can get will be good. Cool. So who's Mathis? <laughs> <laughs> she looks up and goes, it's a name I haven't heard in a while. Uh, Mathis was uh, a shareholder in the underground. It's what we call the financial benefactors, the people who, uh, who donate finances to the uh, Sieshi underground. Mathis was uh, particularly elusive. No one, no one knew exactly who he was. We just knew his name. Uh, he was part shareholder and part shepherd. He would help connect people. Notes from him would tie station agents to conductors and help reroute smuggling routes whenever needed. Uh, he was pretty active about, about a decade ago, and then he stopped. Everyone thought maybe he was captured or dead or worse. So it's, it's strange. Mathis was the one who orchestrated my escape, in fact. Me and thousands of other slaves. It's not uncommon, but... I haven't heard this name since I was a little girl. Is the messenger still in the safe house? The guy who slid down the ladder. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's there. Does he look shady? Can I read him? Sure. Roll cunning. 15. He's setting up his bunk. He doesn't really seem to be listening to Natasha talk or anything. There doesn't seem to be anything off-putting about him. 
I don't, I'm not exactly sure what you're looking for, but like, he's just like, he's got like the standard, like he's got some gear, he's got some leathers, he's got a backpack. He's like setting up a bunk. He seems, the people seem to know him like Gurky and DuPont, like greeted him and, and like gave him a hug. And, uh, the other two, uh, conductors like seem to like exchange words with him about like the slaves they were escorting down. And, uh, you know, he just seems tired. Like he ran for a long time to get here. Okay. That's strange then though, right? Mathis guys, real well connected, disappears, shows up out of the blue. It's weird, right? Well, I have no reason not to trust them, but you're right. It is, it is odd. I find it perplexing, but I don't know. I don't know. Could he have been just laying low? Perhaps. There's any number of reasons why he may have fallen off the grid. That seems like it'd be more common in this line of work. It's true. I mean, but for a whole decade? Hard to say. All I'm saying is in dangerous lines of work, things that seem weird tend to mean bad. You think this is a trap? Based on the experiences I've had in the last three months, yes. Well, if it's a trap, we'll deal with it. We're not just going to go stand out in the open at Concord and Patriot. We'll move silent. We'll move quiet. All right. I just wanted to voice my concern. Well, you say you see better than everyone else, right? About 12 to 14 times, yes. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then keep an eye out. Watch our backs. Got it. Now get some sleep. All of you. We have a... We have a... (laughs) we, we We either have a trap to spring... Or two slaves to save. Cool. And go to bed. Uh, you guys wake up <clears throat> as uh, Natasha, you know, gently wakes you guys up. Um, the other two conductors uh, with their three slaves are already packing up their stuff and about to leave. Uh, the one who gave the note is going with them. And uh, Gurky, DuPont, and Natasha are gearing up and getting ready to go. And uh, is anything you guys want to achieve before you guys continue on your way to Concord and Patriot to potentially spring some slaves? Nope. I don't think so. I think I'm ready. Uh, as you guys are uh, leaving, uh, it seems like uh, Gustavo, the station master, isn't in right now. Uh, so you guys just kind of step out the front door um, and uh, you see um, DuPont grabbed the bear pelt and laid in like a, a like bucket nearby the line. And, uh, then you guys start heading out. Um, you guys move on foot for a while. Uh, and, uh, on the way, Natasha, uh, kind of grills you guys about like your abilities. Like, what are you good at? What can I use you for? Gurky's really good with a knife. DuPont's pretty good with a gun. <laughs> Well, Mr. Gunsby is an excellent shot, and um, Mr. Quaglin has some very uncanny abilities. <laughs> I don't fail often. All right. That's a strange... I can kill a man with birds. <laughs> that one's useful. <laughs> also, this stick is really cool. All right. And you fought Gurrenbeld and walked away without a mark, it looks like. I think he got a solid hit in. <laughs> I find that impressive. <laughs> All right. Uh, Gurky and DuPont will be uh, in charge of uh, grabbing the slaves. We don't know the, con- the conditions under which they are moving, but Gurky and DuPont will be in charge of getting them away from the fight as quickly as possible. And then you three and me, 
will be in charge of taking on the uh, the armed guards. Sounds good. Is there an elevated position by this crossroads? Not exceptionally so. Most of Siesh is very flat except for the mountain. Occasional hills here and there. Well, even an occasional hill will be useful. There, uh, if I recall, uh, uh, this area has a decent amount of uh, rocky terrain. Perhaps you can find a, a position there with your sniper, at least to have some cover. Um, but they're, they're like, they're people though, right? So we're just going to capture them. <laughs> capture who? The guards. We're not, we're not killing anyone, right? Are, are we killing? I have a feeling that they're not going to lay down their arms without bloodshed. But they might. And then we would not kill them because they've surrendered? Talia, they're Sieshi. They're not going to surrender. If they are part of the Emperor's military, they will fight to the death, to be sure. But the military is not really in the practice of collecting slaves. Usually they are just given them. So may, perhaps they are escorting slaves that were given to them by bounty hunters. But I find it more likely that uh, these three armed guards are, in fact, uh, uh, slave hunters. Bad people, Miss Nazari. You understand. If we let them live, all they do is go find more slaves. They lose these two, they grab two more, head back up north for a payday. You can't talk reason into someone like this. If you need to sit out... No, 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 no. I... Killed loads of people. There's so many people. She's just killed so many people. She doesn't want to keep adding to it. It's a very high number. <laughs> Natasha looks at you guys just like skeptically and goes, are you going to fight? Of course. I just don't. I prefer to preserve life is all. That's what we're doing here. You have to look at it that way. It's the only way to sleep at night. Let's go. You guys get there like before time like she like look, looks around she goes this is it this is the spot they uh according to mathis they'll be passing through here in around an hour give or take so uh gurky dupont you go down the road a little ways hide yourselves in the foliage um uh or yeah Gurky, DuPont, you go down the road a little bit. Dig yourself some trenches. Hide there. Um, Talia, Zeke, Barnabas, take whatever positions you want. This is our kill zone. And she gestures to, like, a couple rocks that, like, indicate, like, kind of like a uh, an area, a clear area in between these, like, different rocky areas. And there is, like, a slight hill to, like, the east. Um, not, like, exceptionally tall, but slightly elevated. Uh, and, uh, she, uh, uh, finds like a, a kind of taller, like rocky crag with like a divot behind it. And she just kind of like sits down with her back against it, uh, pulls her hatchet, uh, out from her like belt loop and like rests it on her knee and then like leans her, uh, rifle against her chest while she sits there and she, uh, lights up a cigarette. Um, I would like to find somewhere within 30 feet of this combat zone that i can hide yeah i mean if you're 30 feet away you can being you there's plenty of things you can hide behind. there's like i find a rock to hide yeah behind. there's a rock there's like an overturned like dried up dead tree log that you oh, can that's just, good like, yeah get yeah. behind that yeah you just dive behind that and you're completely hidden because you're tiny <laughs> all right 
I go to the top of one of the hills overlooking the kill zone and I and I lay over the crest and cover myself in snow and cover my rifle with as much as I can. Okay. Uh, roll dexterity. Uh, see how sneaky you are. What about you, Talia? I will hide Gerald in a snowdrift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he goes, whoop, whoop. And he walks up to like a big snowdrift and just like re- reaches out his arms, and just falls into it. I cover him with snow. <laughs> Good job, Gerald. Uh, and then I shall find a crag to hide behind. Sure. Uh, yeah, anyone who is trying to stay stealthy, um, go ahead and roll sneaking. Am I uh, rolling for Gerald as well? Uh, no, Gerald's just completely covered in a snowdrift. He he is hidden until someone steps on that snowdrift, or you tell him to burst out of that snowdrift. All right. <laughs> but the rest of you, you're like you're peeking out, you know, trying to keep an eye on the road and stuff. So, I rolled twenty three. Yeah, I got a twenty two. Nineteen. <laughs> well done, everyone. Some time passes, about thirty five minutes. You guys are just kind of sitting there. It's cold. It's rough. I need everyone to roll brute for me. Uh, but do it at a plus six because you are very heavily bundled. Uh, Zeke, you don't have to. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Due to your topographer ability, the cold is cold, but it's just a temperature. It doesn't matter. <laughs> temperature ain't nothing but a number. <laughs> uh, seven. Twenty-four. On okay. a scale of one to four of toastiness, I'm currently a three. All right, uh, Talia, you're, uh, you're hunkered down there. The cold is just biting. It's, it's seeping uh, into your furs. Like you, you're huddled up as best you can, but you're just sitting there and you start shivering and you, you realize like it's, it's getting to you. Um, and uh, uh, you, um, your arms like in your hands like start like getting like real real cold and like kind of numb and uh you're um going to be at a minus two to any role that would uh use either of your hands as uh as your fingers are just like biting cold it's like you have big thick gloves on but it doesn't feel like it feels like you're sticking your hands in an ice bucket <laughs> it's so cold <laughs> All right, um, and uh, after about 35 minutes, uh, you hear um, hooves on the road that you guys are on either side of clopping up towards you, and uh, you guys peek out, and you see um, uh, like a covered wooden carriage with barred windows. Uh, Nothing big and fancy, like really like small carriage, maybe can hold like four people in it. Uh, slowly approaching. Uh, uh, two people are sitting up behind the horses, and one person is uh, riding a horse next to it, separate from the uh, uh, the carriage. And um, at the uh, reins of the horse are a uh, large elf with uh, like part of his nose missing like his like he has like a big scar on his face and like part a chunk of his nose is missing um and he's wearing like a, a wide brimmed hat uh that's like got a bunch of snow on top of it and uh like a big overcoat uh and next to him is uh a human 
who is just covered up in like furs. He's got a big fuzzy like square hat over uh, and like a large like bushy beard and like big bushy eyebrows. And then uh, riding on the horse next to them is in fact an Aodin um, who uh, seems to have like a large spear and shield slung over her back. Uh, She has a, a... like bluish teal uh, and silver scales uh, with kind of like a, a dark, like navy blue uh, uh, coloration to some of her face fins. She is she is heavily bundled, but bundled as well, uh, but mostly just it seems like kind of like armor and less padding uh, and furs. Um, she seems a little more accustomed to this temperature. And uh, what do you guys do? We didn't agree on a signal. This was a mistake. <laughs> Once they get into the zone, I call birds on the Aiden. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> or as as they are approaching closer to the kill box, um, the Aodin stops pretty much right at the like entrance of like what you guys have indicated as the kill zone. Um, she stops, looks around, she like holds her hand up, and like the uh, uh, the elf like pulls on the reins and slows the horses down for the carriage. And she looks around, and she reaches up and, like, grabs her spear tentatively as she's, like, scanning the area. And then she takes one more step forward and enters the kill box. <laughs> yeah, I bird her to death. And a sharp whistle <laughs> shoots, through, uh, uh, shoots through. And uh, as you do, she, like, quickly, like, unsheathes her shield and spear like uh and like grab and grabs onto her horse's reins and looks like you know and she like shouts something uh in a strange language to her compatriots and uh yeah go ahead and roll accuracy can i do so heroically yeah you're saving slaves i'm gonna go ahead and allow that all right (laughs) that's a tier four on heroics so plus 12 yeah that's a um 23 on accuracy uh, yeah, um, she, she rips the, uh, uh, she rips the, um, uh, shield and spear off her back, uh, her like large, like scaly muscles, uh, like flexing as she like kind of grabs the reins on her horse and is like about to kick it forward. And then, um, as, uh, as like about half a dozen, uh, uh, like snowy hawks just like come swooping from like a higher, uh, higher ground. Like they were up in the clouds, just like. Just like in like unison, all of them just like jumped down, like uh, swoop down and like start pecking and clawing at her. And she uh, she like shield bashes one away and then like starts like riding forward. Um, and uh, how much damage is that? That's 18 damage. Uh, yeah, she she gets uh, uh, she starts getting pecked and clawed at and she shield bashes one uh, and like spurs her horse forward. Um, at this point, the uh, uh, the human dives off of the uh, <clears throat> uh, off of the uh, seat and like pulls from uh, his large coat. A, like crazy weird mechanical looking gun that has like these like glowing like white lines uh like pulsing in it and like he like seems to like cock it and uh the <laughs> the elf stands up opens up his long coat and like reveals like four sets of like revolvers like strapped to his chest and hip uh and uh he like reaches for them i need everyone to roll priority Barnabas, what'd you get? 13. Talia? 
16. Zeke? 12. All right, Talia, you are up first. I will um, activate my unmod perfection stance, which means that anyone who's trying to hit me takes um, a minus seven to their accuracy. Okay. Um, And then I shall begin moving uh, in sort of a defensive way and engage the human. Sure. And that's all I do. Okay, so uh, Talia, you come out from your hiding spot and you uh, uh, begin gliding towards the human with unparalleled grace. Uh, he seems surprised as you approach him uh, and uh, uh, gets ready to like respond to you as you get right up in his grill um, and uh, start like spinning around him. Barnabas, you're next. So the elf is standing up drawing his pistols right now, correct? Yes, he's standing on the front of the carriage drawing his pistols. And I imagine I probably can't see the human. Uh, no, you can. He, he dropped down. He's uh, engaging with, uh, with Talia on the side of the road. Well, I'm going to target the elf. Okay. Uh, fire two shots. First shot is 15. All right. You fire off the first shot. Uh, immediately as it as it goes, you uh, slap up the bolt of your rifle, pulling it back, uh, ejecting a shell, slamming it forward with like extreme speed. The bullet goes through the brim of his hat as he turns to look at you. And my next shot. Well, thank goodness for sneaky seconds. Twenty three. And uh, uh, your second shot um, as he turns to look at you, like you missed him with the first one, just barely like putting a bullet hole in the brim of his hat. He like he growls and uh, he's drawing his guns and the second shot actually like wings his shoulder and he steps back and looks surprised as he continues lifting up his uh, his pistols to fire upon you. Zeke, you're up. This Aodin is barreling down towards you, covered in hawks. <laughs> How far can I fly with my new jetpack? Uh, it's 45. That's great because my speed is 15 normally. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do? I will, well, first, the Aiden takes nine damage. Oh, yes. Uh, she's riding down towards you, the hawk's keeping up with her as she, like, kicks her horse forward. Uh, they're clawing at her shoulders, like, ripping her, her armor. Yeah, then I will use my jetpack to fly towards her and bash her with my stick a bunch as I use flickering. All right. <laughs> uh, so that's uh, 14 on accuracy. Yeah, you hit her. All right, let's see how good I bash her. Yeah, that's a tier two on flickering, so it's three attacks at eight damage. Uh, so you burst out from behind uh, your hiding spot. Uh, the uh, s- the light from your Aether jetpack glowing uh, behind you, and you zoom forward. Uh, she's riding right at you, starting to like get like in like a jousting position almost, uh, trying to ignore the hawks as they claw at her wings um, and she uh, tries to like catch you with her spear and uh, you expertly like spin around. This is the first time you've really used the jetpack but it like it, it comes naturally. To I you. know how to fly. <laughs> and you spin around and uh, uh, like dodge around her and through the like the six uh, hawks which seem to make room for you as you get in and like hit her a few times like with both ends of your stage like smack 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 and then you uh, uh, you kind of like stop and float and your hit actually knocks her off her horse and she falls down on the ground like rolling uh, to like regain her footing and her horse goes like riding off a little bit before it slows down and like there's like what's going on <laughs> I try to motion to the horse just 
because I can't stop whistling. But I do try to motion, like, run, you're free now. <laughs> it sits there confused and, like, paws at the ground a little bit. All right, we'll figure it out later. <laughs> the elf has marked uh, Barnabas, and he draws both of his pistols and fires two shots at you, Barnabas. Uh, go ahead and roll evade. Uh, any cover bonus? No. Shit. Uh, you should have a cover bonus, Barnabas, but this guy seems an expert marksman and is able to shoot past your cover unhindered. 28. All right, Barnabas, you roll to the side, hugging your rifle. The first shot, like, hits the ground next to you, uh, and you stabilize yourself to kind of get a lay of the land, and he raises up his second pistol and fires his second shot. Go ahead and roll evade. Eight. Yeah, he hits you. Uh, (laughs) He hits you real good. You take... 18 damage that seems to ignore your armor as he uh, as he shoots and uh, he actually shoots your hat off your head. That's not the first time I've had my hat shot off my head. I don't know if that's something to brag about. <laughs> um, uh, Zeke, the uh, Aodin uh, leaps up at you, jabbing her uh, her spear forward. Hey, Doc. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's a 19 on evasion. Uh, her first strike misses you, and she's going for a second. Uh-huh. Uh, she's going for a second one. She kind of sweeps the the head of her spear right past your face, and you're like, "Ha And she like uses that motion to raise the spear over her head, like in a in like a stabbing motion, like with a downward stroke, as the other end of her spear comes at you, also pointed. I'm actually not laughing at her inability to hit me. I am laughing at the hawk still eating her. <laughs> That's a 26. She tries to hit you with the other end of her spear, and you manage to, like, zoom back into the side, and she, like, lands on the ground, like, growling up at you, trying to, like, get at you. Uh, but you manage to keep, keep like, flitting around her, and, and uh, she bats away some of, your, some of your hawks that, like, just, like, you know, as soon as they get batted, they just go for, like, her knees. Uh, and she's uh, she's not enjoying herself right now, uh, but she seems very, very focused on you. Um, and uh, Talia, uh, you've approached this, uh, uh, this uh, human. Uh, he's kind of marking you. Uh, you, like, spin around him, so he, like, turns, and you hear uh, the, like, weird gun that he has go, like, boom. Uh, I need you to roll evade, please. Sure. What did you roll? 20. He rolled a 19. (laughs) Uh, Oh, did he take the negative to the minus 7? Oh, yeah. He he rolled less than a 19. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, He, he, like, it goes... And this, like, weird arcing bolt of, like, energy. Not electricity, like, this weird, like, wispy, but still, like, hard white energy shoots out and, like, tries to latch onto you, it seems like, um, but, like, kind of, like, dissipates in the air as you spin around and duck, uh, and then he follows your movement and takes another shot. Terrifying and curious at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I want it. Roll of aid. Right. Uh, 22. Uh, he shoots at you again. Uh, this time you kind of leap back and the energy hits the ground. And uh, as it does, uh, it seems to like fragment the earth and like make it like all like spiky and like uh, and like sharp. And like you, you know, step around that and uh, he like pulls back like a lever on the uh, on the gun and like twists it and like a big tss- gout of steam shoots out of it and then he pushes the lever back. 
And uh, yeah, it's now your turn, Talia. Oh, good. So I uh, shall move around him and sort of uh, try to confuse him and then smack him with the flat of my blade. Okay. Roll accuracy. 18. Uh, yeah. Uh, you managed to uh, uh, confuse him enough with your movement that like he like turns and like tries to like point his gun at you, but like in his motion to swing his gun around, you managed to like just like smack him along the forearm and like leave a big like kind of bloody welt on his uh, on his forearm and he like kind of like ducks back and like ducks around as you like s- swing at him again and like he tries to like regain his footing uh roll your strike to see how much damage that does 16 um and you hit him along uh hit him on the forearm and there's like that bloody welt and as he like steps back and spins to like try and dodge he seems to like flex his arm at you uh and the blood sprays out and like uh, like splashes onto you, onto your hand, and you also, I need you to resist 10 damage as his acid blood lands on what? you. What? So just roll defense. 11. All right, so you soak up two of that, you take eight hit point damage as like the flex of his blood, not a whole lot of it, but enough to like kind of burn and singe your hand a little bit, uh, like kind of like splash on you. Ow! That's not normal. <laughs> and he grins with spiked teeth. Ooh. <laughs> it's also not normal. <laughs> Barnabas, you're up. Ah, so he wants to play the duel game, eh? I'm going to take aim at his head. <laughs> so I got a tier four on my aim. And then my... I'm doing a cold shot to his head. All right. 27. All right. Uh, He seems like ready, like he's kind of grinning and like getting ready to like kind of like duck and weave as he he thinks you're about to take a shot. And you take that extra second to aim. That seems like confuse him long enough that you uh, pull the trigger and uh, you shoot. 27. That's two three. So uh, Barnabas, uh, you take aim. He seems like ready to buck, dodge and weave, and then uh, he seems a little confused for a second, and then he's like about to like kind of like drop off of the uh, carriage to try and like go for actual cover because he's like not exactly sure what you're about to do. And right as he's like about to like make that jumping motion, you pull the trigger, and your bullet goes straight through his forehead and out the back of his head. Oh shit! Damn. <laughs> 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 uh, Zeke, you're up. I hit her some more. Okay. Go ahead and roll oh, accuracy. She takes nine damage. Oh, she takes nine damage. Right. As birds claw and bite at her. Um, surprisingly, it seems like she's pretty tough. And these birds, while, like, continuing to claw at her, like, are more of a nuisance and, like, a, like, mild pain than anything that is, like, truly excruciating for her. Okay. I fly away from her and I bash the human in the head with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you zoom away from her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you do, she, uh, like, jumps up in the air, kind of, like, spreading her wings out to give her just, like, that extra, like, oomph of, like, momentum as she pushes her body up off the ground. Uh, and she uh, lunges at you and, like, stabs at you. I need you to roll uh, evade. Okay. That's an 11. Uh, she will hit you. I need you to roll defense. Cool. I soak two damage. Uh, that makes it 22 damage as she lunges up and, like, you feel her, her spear, like, kind of, like, 
just graze your side and like gash into your into your like ribs, almost cutting the straps on your uh, on your jetpack, but not quite. And uh, then you continue on your movement to the human. Um, I go up. Okay. And then I shoot him with my gun. Okay. Uh, well, like I glance back, shoot her a glare, and then like. I can't stay mad at her. She's getting eaten by birds. <laughs> and then I shoot that guy. And you turn and you uh, pull the trigger, shooting at the human. Yeah, that's a 10. Yeah, you hit him. Uh, I need you to roll dexterity for me, Zeke. Okay. That's a 14. Okay. Uh, you kind of zoom up. You lash back the hammer. The guy seems completely focused on Talia as he's, like, venting his gun and getting ready to, like, line up another shot. And right as you're about to take a shot, fucking out of nowhere, out of the out of the side of the, your, your vision, you see the Aodin leap up in the air and throw her shield up and, uh, and interpose herself between you and the human. And your bullet king, hits her uh, shield. She drops down and looks at you and, like, grins for a second, like, ha! And then a bird <laughs> slashes her cheek, and she's like, damn it! <laughs> it's hard to look cool when you're being eaten alive by birds. <laughs> That's the idea. Uh, Talia, the Aodin, then turns to you and uh, stabs her spear right at your gut. All right. Uh, at this point, you guys can hear coming from the uh, carriage, like, shouting and screaming. And you see, like, some hands holding onto the bars. Uh, people, like, shouting for help and other indistinct words. Um, Talia, what'd you get on your evade? Um, a 15 with my shield. Uh, yeah, she hits you. All right. Uh, so go ahead and roll defense. Nine. Okay, so you, so you, take, uh, you take 15 damage. As uh, as you kind of like barely managed to stop yourself from being completely gutted, and uh, she kind of scrapes your gut with uh, with her spear. I need you to roll brute for me, Talia. Uh, resist with brute. Um, can I resist this heroically? Yes, you can. Uh, go ahead and roll spirit. Tell me what you got. Nineteen. Uh, <laughs> so um, you get a plus two to your brute resist. Eleven. So you manage to, like, pull your body sideways so that she only grazed you with the stabbing motion. And then she just, like, surprisingly, like, her, like, muscles, like, tense up. And she just, like, lifts you up off the ground with uh, the, like, side of her spear, launching you ten feet away and knocking you prone. Then the human is going to uh, run up towards you, Talia. As he does, he's going to level his gun at Zeke and uh, shoot at him. I dodge. 17. All right, Zeke, this white energy. No, it's not white anymore. He changed it. Uh, this uh, gun fires, and this time it's not like a white energy. You realize that the like white glowing, white glowing uh, energy on the like sides of this gun has changed to like uh, a like vibrant, sickening orange. And this orange, like, bolt of energy, uh, uh, like, zooms right at you, like, in a straight line, Zeke. Uh, and you, uh, drop altitude and it flies over your head. Um, and then as he finishes taking that shot, he stops nearby Talia, opens his mouth, and shoots out a gout of flame. What? <laughs> out of his mouth at Talia. 
I need you to roll evade, Talia. He gets minus seven to his accuracy. Okay. Um, 22. He uh, shoots out a gout of flame, uh, melting the like frozen ground around you as you roll off to the side and avoid being lit up on fire. Um, it is your turn, Talia. Um, and as your turn begins, Talia, you see Gurky and DuPont uh, run up from behind the um, uh, the carriage and hop up and grab the reins of the horses and like smack the uh, the reins and the horses like turn and start off roading it off the uh, um, off the road back, uh, not towards the direction of the way station, but like towards the direction of some hills. And uh, the Aodin lets out a shout, and uh, the human uh, closes his mouth, smoke billowing out from his nostrils, and he turns and sees them riding away, and he, like, grits his spiked teeth. What do you do? Um, so I'm going to yell out to Gerald, Gerald, come here, quickly, <laughs> help! <laughs> okay. Um, and hopefully he comes running. Um... And uh, then I shall um, move. So you're going to stand up and move? That's two action points. Yes. Okay. I stand up and move. (laughs) All right. Uh, You shout out for Gerald as you stand up and begin uh, resuming your fancy footwork to avoid being hit. Uh, And there's a... of uh, of uh, snow shooting out of this uh, snow drift as Joel's like whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> and uh, goes like large strides as he runs forward the Aodin is like you know looks like stoically at him like as she gets like clawed in the face <laughs> and she's like getting ready to like you know uh, to like take on take his charge head on and then Gerald runs past her and just like throws a metal punch right at the human uh, and I need you to roll Gerald's accuracy um 17 uh, all right go ahead and roll strike for him as he hits the human clean in the face uh, and then I need you to roll evade for him because as he gets nearby the Aodin she is going to jab at his side. So first roll his strike. So that's a uh, 14 for strike. Okay. Um, uh, Gerald clocks him right in the face. uh, And the human like steps back and like growls at him and like a little bit of like fire shoots out of his nose. I have to roll evade, right? Uh, For Gerald, yes. As Gerald now gets stabbed at by the Aodin. Four. All right. Uh, I need Gerald to roll defense as the Aodin strikes him. I got a four. Gerald takes uh, 23 hit point damage as uh, as the spear kind of like pierces into his uh, into his brass plating, but doesn't quite seem to catch anything fully uh, vital. Uh, and then she pulls back her spear. Uh, Barnabas, it's your turn. <gasps> Gerald, <laughs> how beat up is uh, Spear Aodin? Hard to say. She's in. She's surrounded by birds. She's been pretty clawed, but she doesn't seem to be showing any signs of uh, of strain. Um, I mean, she's clawed up pretty good, um, but like I said before, these birds. Uh, she seems to be more annoyed by them than like specifically hurt by them. And uh, she, you know, took a shot from from Zeke's 
gun into her shield. Uh, she She's like been in the thick of this fight, to be sure, but she is not showing any signs of where. I'm going to fire two shots at her. All right. Go ahead and roll accuracy. The first shot is a 15. Yeah, that hits. Uh, how um, much damage is that? Two, two, so that'll be 18. And then the second shot. The second shot is a 30. Whew. How much damage is that? Uh, that will be 36. All right. Uh, Barnabas, you pull back. Uh, you take a shot. You instantly uh, reinsert a cartridge. Take another shot. Uh, the first shot smacks her uh, her spear away. Um, uh, making her drop it, and as she reaches to go grab it, you take your second shot and you hit her right clean in the gut. It bursts open her stomach, and she falls over, grabbing uh, at at her uh, at her stomach as she starts bleeding to death. No one hurts Gerald, and uh, she is completely gutted. Zeke, it's your turn. Okay, I whistle the birds over to the guy, and then I shoot the guy. All right. So for the birds. That's a nine on accuracy. All right. Uh, you whistle the birds over. They finish pecking and clawing at the Aodin, who's just sitting there, like, in her final moments. Uh, and they swoop at the the human, who seems ready for them. He opens his mouth and lets out a gout of flame and burns them away. Okay. I shoot him in the face. Okay. Let's <laughs> labor shoot him in the face, because I don't have the action points to call shot. <laughs> 28. Whew. Uh, yeah, you hit. How much damage is that? That's 21 damage. <laughs> you pull the trigger. You shoot at him. He's pulling back from burning away your birds. He seems to be, like, turning his gun back to shoot at you. And uh, you uh, you actually uh, shoot him in the throat. Um, not enough to, like, kill him outright. It's more like a grazing blow across the throat. But there is, like, a healthy amount of blood now pouring down, dripping onto the ground, sizzling and, and burning as it does. Uh, and he is now bleeding. He grabs his his throat, realizing that it's bleeding a whole lot. The, the acidity of his blood doesn't seem to affect him in any way. Um, and uh, he takes a shot at you, Zeke. Go ahead and roll a vein. I dodge. 17. All right, um, he uh, shoots another orange ray at you, Zeke, and it hits you dead in the face. I need you to roll uh, Brute for me with the res- to resist. I resist heroically with luck. Okay. <laughs> so for heroics, it's a tier four heroics. Okay, so that's plus 12 to your luck. That's a 29. That's a tier three, which is what you needed to get to resist this. Um, this orange energy hits you in the face, and uh, it kind of like you kind of lose control of your jetpack for a second as you like kind of orient yourself against the blast. It didn't like hit you with much kinetic energy, but it's still like your vision is like orange right now. And uh, this orange energy is lingering on your face and you feel as your eyelids begin to like seal themselves. Ooh. And uh, and like it's a weird sensation, but for some reason, like it tugs at your nose weirdly. And like you get this tickle in your nose and you go <laughs> and you sneeze and kind of zoom back like a couple feet on your jetpack and the like orange energy that was latched on your face just kind of like dissipates off of your face when you zoom back from the sneeze and like falls to nothingness and he like looks up with like what (laughs) 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 Um, and he is going uh, to start making a run for it 
and he starts running back down the street as fast as he can, clutching his uh, his throat. And uh, as he's running, um, you uh, see Natasha pop up from a uh, a location that she wasn't before. She's like now like in this like weird ditch that's off to to the side of the road, uh, and she's covered in blood. And she uh, shoots her gun and just like hits the dude uh, right in the heart, and he just falls down, completely limp, with a little gout of flame shooting out of his mouth at the end. (laughs) (laughs) And she sits there, and she's panting, and uh, steps up and walks over to you guys. She's, like, clutching her throat, as she does, and she goes, Good job! (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Oh, fucker hit me in the throat. I couldn't call out for help. Are you all right? Um, here, let me see if I can help you. No, it's not my blood. Oh. And she uh, sheathes her hatchet back on her on her uh, on her hip. It is dripping with blood and also some kind of meaty substance. Uh, oh. And she continues massaging her throat and like coughs a few times. She's like, <clears throat> "Okay, I'm getting I'm getting my voice back now." You you took out the others, yes? Who the hell are these guys? Siashi bounty hunters by the look of it. Slave catchers. Uh, looks like Mathis missed one man. Easy to miss. He was very, very sneaky, and apparently he had been scouting ahead. He's, uh, what's left of him is in the ditch over there. He, he jumped me right before I could come out and help. You pulled it off, though. I said, we're all very capable. Uh, Barnabas, you stand up from your position, and as you do, you, you get a better view of the ditch, and you see just a bloody mess and a dead body. <laughs> Haha, <laughs> nice shot. I shake off all the snow and put my hat back on. Yeah, looked like he was about to get away, but you you three proved yourselves. All right, Gerki and DuPont, there's a, a less luxurious way station nearby here. It's a cave uh, a couple hours away. We can meet Gerki and DuPont there. I'm sure that's where they'll head. Let's go before anyone comes and sees this. I kick the A&M lady. I'm going to take that gun. Sure. You recognize it, or recognize it as a biozapper, a uh, dangerous contraption that uh, makes bio augmentations on people on the fly, usually very detrimental. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. I don't plan on using it, but um, it's and mine uh, now. <laughs> you guys walk for a couple hours, and when you get to um, the cave, Gurky and Dupont are there. They've opened up uh, the they they've. They've ditched the um, wagon that they had, and there's uh, there's three satyrs. Two of them are um, like teenagers, and one is like an adult male, and uh, they're like sitting there huddled uh, in blankets, like cold. Uh, and um, you guys kind of set up camp. Does anyone want to talk to the satyrs at all? Or hi, hey, hi. Thanks for rescuing us. Yeah, no problem. What what's your names? I'm Pablo. This is uh Juliet and uh and Benjamin. Where are you guys from? Arakrith. Well, originally and he points at his hollowed out gauges. Uh he goes, Originally uh Southern Siesh, but we, we made the journey away a few months ago. Well, um you can go back now, I guess. To Arakrith? Yeah, that's the plan. It's uh, it's great to see that the uh, the underground still doing good work uh, we, we were really worried when those slave catchers found us we're gonna have to go further south yeah that might maybe maybe just keep well i guess don't go like too far south 
because the Earth is round. But <laughs> like maybe further south than Arrakis. Our our big failing was we wanted a quiet life out in the wilderness, away from society. Clearly, strength in numbers is key here. Keandrew, you ever heard of Keandrew? It's like the wilderness, but there's a lot of people around. Uh, that's that's in Surai, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll check it out. Any anywhere just a little further away from Siesh, hopefully shake off the trail if our master wants us back this badly. Well, X master. The police chief owes us a favor, so. Natasha kneels down next to them. I have one question for you. Do you know a man named Mathis? And they look confused. And they shake their head and they're like, no, that, that name doesn't mean anything to me. Who is he? He's the one who tipped us off about you. Did you meet anyone along the road? Where did those slave catchers take you? They kept us mostly secluded so that no one had a chance of trying to steal their bounty. But uh, one time we didn't sleep out in the wilderness. We had stayed at an inn, uh, the Bennett House. Um, and uh, there was a, a troop of royal soldiers there. Royal soldiers? That doesn't... I mean, I suppose perhaps Mathis is undercover inside the military. Did, did any one of them speak to you? No, the only people we briefly had a rea- interaction with was the innkeep. Uh, when we were ordering the room, he addressed us and the bounty hunters told us to stop. And then we did bump into someone in the hallway, uh, a group of people who apparently were being escorted by the soldiers somewhere. Well, who are they? Were they howdy? Do you, do you, can you, were they satyrs? No, they, they were human. Uh one was... There's like an old guy, and then there was like a young, kind of smarmy-looking asshole, and then like a tough-looking lady with tattoos. Yeah, yeah. One with, with, with skin like yours, a Paldoran. She, she was there, and, and then there was the, the, the shorter guy. I guess he could have been a little older than the other two. He had curly brown hair, and then, yeah, a tall, athletic-looking fellow. They were with a couple of the soldiers. We bumped into the, uh, bump, bumped into the short guy. He was reading a book. When we didn't see his coming, he uh, he got a, an earful from the slave catchers, but uh, obviously they weren't going to do anything. These people were under the protection of the emperor. Fuck. <laughs> 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 and that's where we'll end this session. <laughs> this podcast has been brought to you by ENPC Productions. All rights reserved. The Essential NPCs podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, sponsored, or specifically approved by Cracked Monocle Gaming. Tefra, the steampunk RPG, is a trademark of Cracked Monocle Gaming. All rights reserved. Go to www.crackedmonocle.com for more information.